1: Hello, hope you're okay and had a good weekend. It's Monday the 22nd of August. Thanks for downloading today's podcast. We'll find out more about illegal substances in CBD products in a bit. But first, a Medway mums received an apology from Aldi after being branded a shoplifter. Ishmael's here to talk us through this story. So what exactly happened?
0: Well, Feliza Sanchez was doing her weekly shop at the store on Duncan Road in Gillingham. As she approached the checkout, she was stopped by two members of staff who said she'd been caught on CCTV trying to steal goods. The 43-year-old mum says the accusation was made in front of other customers and she had to leave her groceries behind and get out of the shop. She was also told she was banned from the shop where she'd been a regular customer for several years.
1: That sounds like a pretty awful experience. What did she do next?
0: Well, as soon as she got home, she sent an email to the chief exec of Aldi and later received a letter of apology and a £5 voucher as a goodwill gesture to spend any branch. Well, She's described that as an insult. The supermarket giant has since sent her another email offering her £100 and confirming she's not banned from their stores. They've said sorry for the inconvenience and insist action is being taken to make sure this never happens again it, says she's glad her name's been cleared, but she's not sure whether she'll shop there again.
2: Kent Online reports.
1: On to another top story now. Tests carried out on CBD products by scientists in Kent have found most contain illegal substances. It's the non-psychoactive part of cannabis and a popular remedy for pain relief and anxiety. But it's feared people don't always know what they're consuming. Mark Rolfe is head of Kent Scientific Services, the official control lab operated by the county council.
2: We originally started looking at products that, that contain CBD in terms of food because uh, there is a current uh, position where uh, CBD is a novel product in food, and it's being tested for safety at the moment by the Food Standards Agency. Uh, they have allowed it to be marketed whilst those safety assessments are, are being undertaken, um, and so we offered a project uh, out to test some of those pro- those products to see not whether CBD is safe—that's not our business—but actually whether they contain any of the other parts of cannabis that that they perhaps shouldn't contain. What we found, and this is an ongoing project for us, what we found so far uh, is that we've tested 61 uh, products that claim to have CBD in them. Of those 61 products, 44, so 72%, actually contain the illegal parts of cannabis that shouldn't be in there at all. Um, And then on top of that, we've also found products that uh, don't contain anywhere near the amount of CBD that they claim to on the label. Uh, we found products actually that don't claim to, to carry CBD, but do. Um, and we've also uh, found a couple of products which contain a kind of CBD, which is not one of the types that the FSA have authorized to be on sale at the moment. Uh, so a whole range of findings. And we found that, that situation in all of the kind of products that I've talked about. So in food, uh, in cosmetics and in bakes. To be honest, the reason why we've highlighted our results before the end of our project is because actually we're quite concerned about this. Uh, What what our results seem to show is that uh, people may be consuming things that they would not otherwise choose to consume. Uh, So people who are taking CBD want to take a legitimate product to help them with whatever it is, whatever condition they're trying to get assistance. with. They're not trying to take uh, some of these other aspects of cannabis, which which are in fact controlled drugs um they're looking for a legitimate product to help them with their issue so from that point of view it's actually really worrying that people don't don't know and can't tell what's in these products when they're consuming there must be a risk that if people are taking these products and they contain these controlled drugs uh, that actually that will show up in any kind of drugs testing the the example we're aware of is somebody who who failed a workplace uh, drugs test Uh, this person tells us absolutely they've never been near drugs in their life um, and they are well aware that they get tested for, for drugs at work, so they wouldn't go anywhere near drugs. Um, but also, obviously, you know, you can be tested at the roadside by the police for for, for this kind of illegal drug as well. Uh, so it is a it is a great concern. Obviously, the there is yet no data to show how much of the kind of food that we've analysed you'd have to consume to get an amount of this in your body which would show up in the drugs test. Um, but actually, consuming any of it is. He's therefore really not just a good idea.
0: Kent Online reports.
1: In other news today, five more people have been arrested after a man was stabbed to death in Tunbridge. The victim in his 20s was attacked near Avebury Avenue in the early hours of last Friday. A 17-year-old boy, a girl who's 15, and two 16-year-old boys are being questioned on suspicion of murder. A 47-year-old woman's also been detained on suspicion of assisting an offender. A teenage boy arrested shortly afterwards has been released without charge. Elsewhere, a man's fighting for his life in hospital following a fight at a pub in Maidstone. It happened at the and Hounds on Lower Boxley Road on Saturday night. A 25-year-old man from the town has been arrested now leading charity supporting former service personnel in Kent, says an increasing number are struggling with the rising cost of living. Help for Heroes has had to increase how much money is available for veterans so they can afford to pay energy and food bills. Claire Barnes has been telling us how difficult the situation is. It's complex and it's um,
3: a number of things happening at the same time. So we have individuals who are experiencing as we all are across the nation. The anxieties are wondering how you're going to end, make ends meet with the hike in the price, energy price cap, and the increase of the national insurance contributions. Um, that, on top of, of the veterans or those living with injury or illness, as they are, it's the worries around how you manage your condition, and the condition can include temperature regulation. It can include mobility devices, um, heart monitors. Um, pain relief devices mobility devices to get you up and out of bed or up and out of your chair so it's it's a myriad of different needs for those who are uh, managing an ongoing condition and that's what many of our veterans are experiencing quite apart from the anxieties that might come alongside mental health injury or just daily living which everybody's experiencing.
4: Yeah so for those who are coping with a physical injury maybe could you explain that perhaps sometimes within their homes they might have to use more energy um to be yes. able to get around so that in turn obviously makes their bills a bit higher does it and what that sort of help would, so would they that. get for that
3: so from us we are able to provide um top-up vouchers for home energy and we do that through an organization called family Fund trading um, and they provide the vouchers direct we pay for them so it's about um understanding what their additional needs are and providing for that household size, for the injuries that they have, enough energy for them to be able to sort of find some relief in terms of financial hardship to manage those. They might be um, trying to recharge prosthetic limbs to get out and about, or the electric powered vehicles that they use to move around the house or get out of the home. Um, It might be um, charging, not charging, but running ventilators, or temperature regulating machines, air conditioning units at the moment, but it, it, you know, come the winter, they're going to be needing to keep themselves warm enough with either oil-fired radiators or special specific devices to help them regulate their temperature. So there's a, a great number of things and considerations that we have to make uh, and be able to provide top-ups for their energy, whether they're on a meter or with a gas provider, gas electricity provider, is, is something we are looking to do
4: so many things you just don't think about isn't it like like charging as you say a a powered chair if they if they need that to get around and, and they need to know
3: that they can get home if they've gone out you know and if they don't have enough charge in there and not all the batteries are large enough for a full day's running they might work for a few hours depending on the power and the size of the chair so yeah, it's it's a real concern, real concern for some.
4: I think there's probably sometimes when we say the word veteran, a bit of a misconception that they're older people, but there's an awful lot of younger ex-service yes, is. personnel, isn't there? I mean, in their thirties, forties, um, how, how do they cope day to day?
3: Well, a lot of them have young families. Um, uh, they have uh, peer groups. They keep in touch with those that they served with. They meet um, vet- other veterans out in the community at veteran breakfast clubs or similar. Um, and they keep in touch on online and on Facebook. Um, but we don't just have veterans from um, combat. We also have veterans, people who have been medically discharged, um, who have been on training and, and have had an in, an injury or deployment to places that we don't hear about.
4: The government have obviously made these cost of living payments available. Um, would you have said that perhaps something extra needed to be done for, for veterans to make sure that they were able to get through this period of incredibly high energy prices coming up
3: yeah so we are always um making ourselves aware of what is available through the government through state agencies and always trying to assist individuals to navigate into that support Um, charities are there because there isn't always enough support for an individual and charities work very hard to always connect with the state first but be there as a backup for their members or those who fit their criteria to support them. And that's what we're doing. So obviously, we're very much hoping that the government can do as everything that they can alongside the energy companies to help people make ends meet, find ways forward. But the charities will do all they can as long as we can continue to fundraise in these more economically
1: challenging times to be there for those who turn to us. While well, staying with the cost of living, the boss of a Kent food bank says he's had to expand into providing school uniform as parents struggle to afford it. It's estimated families spend around £300 a year on uniforms, including shoes in a bag. Neil Charlick runs Gillingham Street Angels.
5: Initially we were just feeding people. The feedback we were getting from the parents is that school uniform was a big problem. So at the moment we're possibly give it about 2,000 items out a month for a school uniform. It's one of the other major problems we're finding is that people can't afford to cook certain foods. So things like whole chickens, potatoes, they can't cook can't afford to cook these things. They take too long so people are wanting quick, easy, easy meals. And I think we're we're still just going to get worse because of the cost of living is going up, the kite, the gas and the electric's going up, so I think we're still potentially going to have, have a lot more problems. It's a very non-judgmental service so people can come along we ask very minimal questions. The beginning of your postcode, just so we can keep a track of who we're feeding, who we're looking after, how many people they're feeding, and what their cooking facilities are, so we can give the right kind of stuff away. With the school uniform part of it, there is no criteria. If they come along and they ask for school uniform, we just they just give it to them. There's no judgement at all. Social media is a big thing for us. So people, we would put a post up on social media saying about we're starting a school uniform bank. Schools and individual parents have then messaged the page and said to us. Uh, we've got school uniform or we have got we need school uniform and then we've got a database, so we've got a database of who needs what. We've got two, two team members who just sort that out and then they give the school uniform to the people who need it. Schools have been very good, lost property, people that have got stuff they want to pass on. That's been amazing to us and we've given out at least a couple of thousand items a month at the moment currently and I think that's just, just going to get bigger. We, we started originally as a homeless charity. Now, it's just all sorts of people. It's not just people that are struggling or people on benefits. It's people in full-time employment. People are, people are struggling. There's so many problems out there. And we the way we work is we're not judgmental. We don't judge the people. So when they come here, we don't have to prove they're poor. I don't, I don't believe in they have to prove you're poor to get access to these services. We're a voluntary service. We're a charity, community-based. And I think everyone should have access to these kind of services. When we started off originally just giving out food, we started purely as street homeless. Then it was people in supported accommodation, people on low income, and now that support has become why we get people from the NHS, the local council. There's people in full-time employment just can't afford to pay their bills. So if there's things we can do to make that easier, whether it's food, school uniform, clothing, general household basic you know, hot items, we'll give those to the people who need them.
1: The government says schools in England are required to keep uniform costs down, including offering second-hand kits. Ministers also insist they're providing more than £37 billion in funding to help the most vulnerable households.
0: This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with car dealerships in Canterbury
1: and Maidstone. A man's been arrested after armed police dogs and a helicopter were called to a residential street on Sheppey. There was a huge emergency response on Camellia Road in the Thistle Hill area of Minster in the early hours of yesterday. Officers say there were reports of damage caused to a property and a suspect with a weapon. A taxi driver's revealed a man who drowned after falling into the river near Sandwich had been unsteady on his feet when he dropped him off. Paul Goodwin had been out drinking and got a lift back to his houseboat in March. His body was found 10 days later. A court's been told the 61-year-old had fallen into the marina before. A coroner's described his death as a tragic accident. A thief who was caught on CCTV targeting a company just two weeks after it opened has avoided being sent to prison. A car, toilet roll, and tea bags were stolen from Highway's Auto Centre near Deal. A fifty-four-year-old from Sandwich has been ordered to pay over a thousand pounds in compensation.
2: Kent Online reports.
1: It's feared reopening Manston Airport will create more pollution for people living in Thanet. You might remember us telling you last week that the government's given the owners permission to turn it into a cargo hub. They claim it'll create thousands of new jobs and bring an economic boost to the area, but some people aren't convinced. Deb Shotten is the vice chair of Thanet Green Party.
6: We're very disappointed. Um the government is ignoring its own experts and um the Ovarup who appointed to review the decision originally of the planning inspectorate, and both of them decided that the airport wasn't viable, there was no need for it, and therefore didn't meet the needs for a DCO, the requirements for DCO. It's still in the wrong place. It's still being run by the same people. And there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of difference in the business plan that, that came out in the in the uh, planning inspectorate hearings that we all attended. So we can't really see how it can work. It, it never has. And we don't believe it ever will. It's in the middle of a peninsula, Isle of Thanet, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's surrounded by sea on all three sides. It's a very impoverished demograph. Um, And this is one of the reasons it's failed. You know, this long road haulage to anywhere useful. Uh, It falls outside of the magic four hour window for haulage from all of the main distribution centres in the uh, in the Midlands and um, there were well,
1: never enough people who wanted to fly from it so the passenger side of things didn't work either. Policy advisor Phil Shotton says promises to make it a low carbon airport are a pipe dream.
7: Even if you just take ground operations, um, so you have electric buggies and LED lighting and that sort of thing, that's that scope one of uh, uh, emissions control and um, i believe that they've said that they'll they'll meet net zero on that by carbon offsetting and then if you take all the uh, toing and froing that an airport involves bringing fuel on board because there's no pipeline to manston so every gallon of aviation fuel is going to have to be trucked in uh all of the logistics for freight Lots of heavy good vehicles on the roads, all of them producing a lot of carbon dioxide emissions. So that's the scope two aspects. And then of course the airplanes themselves, cargo hubs tend to use aged airplanes, things like big 747s that are no longer viable for passenger transport. They are some of the most polluting and uh, carbon dioxide emitting planes in the world.
1: Becky Wings, a local councillor, she's worried about the impact it'll have on residents. The government's hired experts to give them reports on the viability of the airport and the government's I totally
8: utterly ignored them there's also in a lot of those reports it's, it's widely uh, reported that there will be a negative impact on ramsgate in, ter- in terms of our tourism the planes go right over and also Herne bay to to mention herm bay as well but you know incoming and outgoing aircraft are going to be flying low over houses it's quite interesting that we have a number of applications for large numbers of houses in and around the airport including manston green which i believe is at the end of the runway so 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 it does make you wonder what exactly is going on when we've been giving permission to build houses near closer and closer to the to the to the to the runway. This summer must have made people realise that we actually have a climate emergency. And if you look at today, we've got any combination of wind, wave and solar power. So we're well placed on this peninsula to actually create a centre of excellence in terms of renewable renewable energies, development
1: and manufacturing. If
8: somebody just think
1: outside the box. The plans have support from two Conservative MPs that represent parts of Thanet. Work's due to start on the site next month and the first cargo flights could take off early in. 2025.
0: Kent Online reports.
1: People living close to a planned development of 800 homes in Dartford have raised concerns about traffic. The site is off Watling Street and known as Stone Pit 2. Residents say the area can't sustain any more cars as there's only one road in and out. Developers say their plans have taken into consideration the impact on the local area. A warning for drivers now, the slip roads at junction 5 on the London-bound side of the M2 are going to be closed overnight for the next two days. It'll be from 8 this evening until 5 tomorrow morning, and the same again on Tuesday as work continues to redesign the Stockbury roundabout. Diversions are via the A249, M20 and A229 to rejoin the motorway at junction 3, or leaving at junction 4 and head coastbound to 5. We're told homes and businesses along a stretch of coastline in Kent could be allowed to flood in future. Documents say parts of the shoreline at Sea Salton near Whitstable could be taken by the sea when maintenance of the current defences there ends in 2055. Authorities admit the approach would involve the loss of built assets, which could include about 100 homes and businesses. Ken Bowman lives there and says there's a lot at stake.
9: The assets which are lost at the moment have a value of about 60 million pounds. This includes several thriving businesses, a lot of permanent homes, and also a lot of holiday homes and caravans. This will all be lost. The cost probably of defending the coastline to to a decent standard is probably about 10 million. So you can see that there is a big ratio between the assets being lost to the cost of defending them. In fact, when you make a wider analysis than merely the 60 million that exists at the moment and take into account the value, the future value of the businesses here, one comes to a very very much larger figure. The sortings which will now be given up to the sea are currently an RSPB reserve. They're also SI, Ramsar etc. The, the uh, RSPB have spent very large sums of money in improving the uh, reserve. It's clear that with the current policy this will all be wasted. The sea will be allowed to inundate and all the work of the RSPB over the years in their encouragement of ground nesting birds will all be wasted.
1: The Council and Environment Agency have both claimed each other are responsible for managing the coast. The plan's apparently been subject to a public consultation and a review's in progress to account for recent changes.
10: Kent Online Sport.
1: In football, an investigation is underway following reports of racial abuse during Gillingham's game against Walsall at the weekend. Some of the visiting players' families were apparently targeted in the away end at Priestfield on Saturday. Walsall say they're working with police and Gillingham to identify the culprit and issue a lifetime ban. The match itself ended in a 0-0 draw. It means the Jills are still struggling towards the bottom of the League 2 table. They've only won one out of five games so far this season. Defender Elkan Baggart had this to say about their latest result.
10: Obviously, from our point of view, every home game um, is one we, we really want to win. Um, But to be fair, off the back of Tuesday, um, a better performance, gave ourselves a chance getting a clean sheet, um, but it's definitely a game and a performance that we can can build on from here. Our play going up to there was good. We did give ourselves the chances to score, Um, so of course, yeah, that's our frustration. We want to win games and obviously we didn't score today, Um, but the strikers are, are working hard every day in training and the penny will drop. Obviously our job as defenders is to, to keep the ball out the net. Um, obviously this season so far we've been leaking too many goals in. So I think the, the change of shape helped us. Um, but obviously from our point of view, we also want to win the game. We are a team and we'll be disappointed with a draw today. But again, it's a, it's a game that we can, we can build on. Personally, Ipswich play five at the back, so I've been exposed to it. We played it in the Cup the other day at Wimbledon. Um, so, so, the boys, we have been used to it, and um, today it, it worked in our favour. Um, and again, yeah, all, all, we, all we wanted to do today, our objective was to keep a clean sheet, and um, we did that. We played a good game today Um, so going off the back of Tuesday we did progress in terms of performance Um, but again we want to win games and um, unfortunately today it wasn't wasn't to be. Elsewhere
1: it was a disappointing start to the season for Gillingham's women. They were beaten 3-2 by Watford in their opening game yesterday. The match came just days after the club's owner and chairman announced he was stepping down at the end of the month and searching for a new buyer. Kent's Dina smith has missed out on a medal at the European Athletics Championships after the women's 4x100m relay team failed to finish the race. The 26-year-old from Bromley was due to run the final leg, but the first changeover of the baton went wrong. She's not coming home from Munich empty-handed, though, after winning silver in the 200m. And Gravesend's Gianni Regini Moran has won bronze in the parallel bars at the European Gymnastics Championships. It's added to his medal tally after the men won team gold. Courtney Tulloch, who used to train at Pegasus Club in Maidstone, won bronze on the rings. That's all for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can now get access to the ad-free Kent Online Premium site by subscribing at KentOnline.co.uk/subscribe. News
0: you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group